Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Booming Basketball Podcast. As per usual, I'm Nate. I'm Danny. So, last episode, obviously, we went into detail about the trade deadline and what was going to happen before the deadline and what we thought every team in the Eastern Conference needed. What we had planned to do was do a second episode with the uh, Western Conference doing basically the same thing before the deadline. Um, our schedules were incredibly busy with college and everything, and unfortunately, we were not able to record and edit in time before the deadline. But So now we're going to mix in the Western Conference kind of with a review of the trade deadline and going over what what happened and what, what teams got what and how that fits what we picked for them and what they needed and if it matches up and if they got what we said that we thought they should go after on the deadline. It's a good trade deadline, man. I'm excited. Yeah, this is probably one of the crazier deadlines in recent memory, to be honest. There was quite a few stars and big names that were traded at the deadline. Um, even the Spurs got in on some action of that. We saw them, they made four trades. They've only made six trades total at the deadline since the Tim Duncan era. So even every team was basically getting in on the action, except for my Knicks, who decided to do absolutely jack shit because clearly Leon Rose was asleep, I think. Um, as uh, reported, Leon Rose was asleep, actually, and he was cuddling with World Wide West. And, uh, yeah, no, they actually just fell asleep watching a movie and cuddling, and uh, that's why the Knicks made no trades. Oh, well. Well, don't worry. I'm actually with you. We uh, made a blockbuster deal for KZ Akpala. Yeah, so. if you guys don't know or if Danny hasn't said before, Danny's a big Thunder fan, so he's not a Knicks fan with me, but both of our teams right now are pretty, pretty dog shit. Um, we saw the other night the Knicks blow a 23-point lead in the fourth quarter to the Portland Trailblazers. That was that was miserable. Um, yeah, I don't have much hope left for the Knicks this season. Hey, what I will say, I'm sure that I have more fun watching Thunder games than you have fun watching Knicks games. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, we've seen Emmanuel quickly. He's shooting about 28% from the field in his past 17 games. That's garbage. And he's supposed to be one of our best young players. At least Quentin Grimes is looking good. He does look good. But let's get into Let's start it off by talking about, obviously, the big the big trade that went down that everyone's been talking about that's yes. been everywhere. James Harden for Ben Simmons. I think that this trade was positive for both teams because the Sixers weren't getting anything out of Simmons. They were getting no value out of Simmons being on their team. And <clears throat> I think that... Philly with the acquisition of Harden, obviously Harden and Beat are going to be ridiculous together. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Yeah, that you could probably argue now that that might be the best duo in the league if they pair well together. I think the one underrated piece, they're not underrated, but it, it's a loss for the Sixers that isn't the easiest thing to make up. I mean, Harden will make up for a lot of the shot creation and shooting that Seth Curry gave them. So essentially, really, because Seth Curry was the only guy playing for the Sixers this season— and Drummond sometimes, they basically lost Curry and Drummond from the rotation and added Harden. So I really don't think they're going to miss Seth Curry that much. But I think that just makes the Nets so much better because the fact that they were able to even get a guy like that and Ben Simmons and Drummond to fill in because they don't really have any bigs either other than Nicholas Claxton. And I just think that whatever they did to get rid of Harden, they got more than just Ben Simmons back out of it because – even though they have Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, as we talked about in the last episode, has been out for some time, and without Joe Harris, they've missed a lot of his shooting and sniper abilities. And even in his first game, we saw Seth was on fire right out the gate, and he's really possibly even a better version of Joe Harris. Listen, I'm not going to say that we called it, 
But I'm just saying, last episode we did say that the biggest thing that the Nets needed to look for was a replacement for Joe Harris. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, a lot of the things we talked about in the last video and the things we had written down about the Western Conference were obviously, honestly, some of the things that ha ended up happening. Great. The one I did not see coming at all, which, honestly, like, I was in class when this happened and I blurted out loud and my teacher was actually got annoyed at me, or my professor. Yeah, I don't... Porzingis to the Wizards was just weird. I didn't expect it. I don't think Mavs fans are happy about it, even though they don't aren't crazy about Porzingis at times. And I actually looked into it. Luka averages severely better numbers when playing with Porzingis than without, which was honestly a surprise to me. But we'll see how Luka gets on. Right now he's been going on a tear. He just dropped 50 the other day. But getting only Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Baritans back for a guy that is a borderline all-star... I don't really know what it acquires for them. Do you like that's what? What does this accomplish for the team? I don't know. I don't. I bro, because I hate Davis Bertans' contract. I I don't like it. I think it is like if I were to play two K my league, that's da one of the Davis Bertans is one of the contracts that <laughs> yeah, I would not get rid want of. My yeah, team. Bertans' contract is not great, but he has been good in the past, and he actually did say that he wanted. He's so glad he basically that he's out of Washington because they weren't an actual team. He said basically at the beginning of the season. They were all getting along when they were winning, and then all of a sudden just egos started coming in saying, I want the ball, I want minutes, and whatnot. And even though Bertrands hasn't been good shooting the ball, I think just a new start for him and being able to get passes from Luka is going to make him better. But still, I feel like they, maybe Porzingis' value is really down because, as uh, Tim Legler said the other day on TV, he's the unicorn because of his skill set, but also because of the fact that you rarely see him. So, I mean, if that's really all his value was and they just wanted to get rid of him... I guess maybe they got what they wanted, but I just don't really understand the point of this trade. I don't think it accomplishes anything for them, and they get older. I don't. Yeah, they did get older, but I mean, we'll just see how Luca plays with these guys. I don't know. I mean, he's like you said, he's been on a tear recently. So another one of the big trades we talked about potentially happening last week's episode is Tyrese Halliburton getting moved. Even though I think me and Danny both expected the guy getting moved, if anyone was going to be De'Aaron Fox and it seemed like Halliburton was untouchable, but I guess not because now he's on the Pacers. I just don't understand the trade for the Kings at all. I, I, I think maybe I, right now seeing them play a little bit has made, I think, the trade a little better because Sabonis has looked really good with the Kings and their offense has been much more fluid and Fox has been playing better too because of it. But at the same time, I don't understand getting rid of a guy who has spent just a year and a half with your team for a guy who's been there for multiple years who hasn't had success and when Tyrese Halliburton has been playing the best basketball of his career and Fox has been playing some of the worst in recent in uh worst of his career in recent memory. But there's just a lot of bad contracts in this trade, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> like Tristan Thompson's not worth ten million, Buddy Heald's not worth twenty two million. The thing with the Pacers is I think they get rid of Sabonis, obviously, and they get Halliburton back. But also getting Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson are two not great contracts. And I think getting rid of Sabonis, they clearly want to rebuild more. And adding a guy like Heald is just going to unnecessarily add wins, and especially when I don't think he's going to be a part of their future on the team because he is older. I mean, ever since they've got like ever since they've brought Halliburton in, like the Pacers have been a lot more fun to watch. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, Halliburton's continued his great play from – Sacramento in his first two games with Indiana just played again tonight had a really good game yeah Buddy Heald also popped off tonight yeah Buddy Heald had 36 but back to the point I was making about Buddy Heald like 36 points tonight 
do they necessarily want that? Because I feel like at this point they should almost just be playing the young guys and be going for a higher draft pick because Malcolm Brogdon's been out for a significant part of the season and he's going to probably continue to miss some time. And, yeah, Buddy Hield's a good player and he's going to add wins to a team, but I don't know if the Pacers are a team that wants to add unnecessary wins right now when they could be getting a higher draft pick because they don't really have a star to build around at the moment. They have some nice young pieces. Chris Duarte's not bad. Malcolm Brogdon's older, but he's still very good, obviously. We'll see what they do with him in the offseason. Buddy Hield's not young, but Halliburton is the only real potential star they have to build around. So I think another high draft pick would potentially be great for them to add. It definitely is a good enough team to win games, I think. But at the same time, I feel like it's also just too late. Yeah, and your goal at the end of the day isn't going to be to make the play-in tournament. And I don't think the Pacers are a bad organization. I think they're decently run, and I don't think their goal is to just try to make the play-in tournament as it were someone with, like the Kings, that they just traded with, is desperately trying to make a run for a play-in tournament spot when it won't really do anything for them. Sabonis, uh, yeah, I just I think Sabonis fits kind of good in Sacramento, but I just don't think it really does anything. It doesn't make them very much better. And, yeah, we saw them also trade Marvin Bagley to Detroit. I think that was also a good pickup for Detroit. They barely gave up anything for him. It didn't cost them anything, low risk, high reward, and I think Bagley needs a fresh start. But we see this. The Kings have these young players and these young bigs, and then they trade for one, and they trade one of their young guards, which I just don't understand. Yeah, I just think Halliburton should have been untouchable. That's basically the gist of it. But if Sabonis works out in Sacramento, then he works out. He's looked good so far, but I don't think this makes them any more of a contender or a threat in the West than they were before. So uh, another trade that involved the uh, Pacers was the uh, Ricky Rubio for Karis LeVert trade, which I really like for the Cavs. I really like it. I honestly don't even mind it for either team because I think getting a top uh, or getting a first-round draft pick for LeVert isn't bad as it is. They get Rubio, who's an expiring contract, so they get a salary dump there, free up about $17 million in cap space. And then on top of that, they got two second-rounders. So, I mean, LeVert isn't one of their biggest assets, and they still have more assets they can trade, such as Malcolm Brogdon and... Uh, Mile or TJ Warren when he eventually comes back, Miles Turner. They said they aren't looking to part ways with now that Sabonis is gone. But Indiana's just making the right moves, I think, to rebuild. Hence another reason, going back to the Buddy Hield thing. I don't think he should really be playing. I don't know if they're a buyout's necessarily the best thing, but yeah, I think they're probably just gonna deal with whatever they have because you can't really just bench a player who's averaging 18 points a game and not give him any minutes. More blockbuster trades that happened will go to the Trailblazers sending McCollum to the Pelicans. Again, I don't want to say we predicted this, but we did say that we definitely thought this was finally the year that CJ and Dame were going to get split up. And it, it, it happened. I really don't mind the return they got for CJ because CJ's contract isn't good as it is. He has a very tough contract to deal with. I mean, he's a very good player, but making $33 million or $30 million a year, whatever he makes, is a lot for a guy that is really just a scorer. I like what both teams got out of it. Josh Hart's been playing really, really good for Portland. Yeah, they get two really young players in Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who they did end up trading, which I honestly for didn't a box like. Of rocks, yeah. I did not like for basically that. basically nothing. I think that getting Nikhil Alexander-Walker was a really good move, but then they decided to get rid of him. They did get a first rounder and two seconds out of it, so I guess they did do something to help rebuild, but getting another young player like Nikhil Alexander-Walker would have helped them, so trading him... For, like Danny said, basically a box of rocks. I didn't really understand that at all. 
another trade that the Blazers did, which still has people scratching their heads. There's... Trading Norman Powell and Robert Covington, one of the best 3 and D players in the league last uh, in. One of the best 3 and D players in the entire league. Last episode, we talked about how we should thought contenders or potential good teams should go after Robert Covington. The Clippers could be really scary now once Paul George and Kawhi come back because they're really deep. Now, with Norman Powell, he's another 18-point-per-game scorer. He just got injured, unfortunately, but he should be back within a few weeks, hopefully. And Justice Winslow isn't going to give anything to the Trailblazers. Eric Bledsoe is not really going to give anything to the Trailblazers. Keon Johnson's a nice young player, I guess, to potentially develop. But getting rid of Norman Powell and Robert Covington, who are two more than solid role players in today's league, I just don't understand it because I think at least they could have gotten maybe something more. But trading Norman Powell in the first place, I don't get, especially when they had traded C.J. McCollum or had that trade lined up as well. I don't know. It kind of just looks like Portland kind of just threw something into the trade finder. Yeah, Portland's just... (laughs) It seems like Portland's cleaning house in the most random way possible. And... Even though Dame says he doesn't want out as of right now, I, I can't see that not changing eventually, unless this dude really does just never want to win a ring. If loyalty is more important to him, then hey, I mean, more power to him. Going back to the Blazers trade, obviously for the Nikhil Alexander-Walker deal, we didn't really give details. but So basically, once they acquired Nikhil Alexander-Walker from the Pelicans, which looked like they would have another nice young player to make their trades look not as piss poor, but then... <laughs> They go and trade for injured Joe Ingles, who has a horrible contract. I believe it is expiring, but they get a second-round pick and Elijah Hughes. I'm not going to lie, I don't know who Elijah Hughes is. I know almost every player in the league, and I pride myself on not being a casual fan and knowing pretty much every player and all the teams and who's on what team and just being not a casual NBA fan. But I'm sorry, I don't know who Elijah Hughes is. I've never heard of him. I can't imagine he's any good if I've never heard of him. They got a second-round pick from Utah, which, again, not worth really anything. And they gave up Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's a good young player. So, really, they gave up a solid young piece for essentially pennies and shit. Yeah, three-point-per-game score. One of the teams we talked about last week was the Hornets and how they needed a rim protector or a rebounder or just an interior force. They didn't do exactly that because Montrezl Harrell isn't exactly a shot blocker or rim protector. But they essentially got a nice interior big who can really help out their interior scoring, which is one of their weak points because they're more of a three-point shooting team. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. But adding Montrezl Harrell to a pick-and-roll with LaMelo Ball could be scary. He's one of the most efficient finishers in the league. He shoots 47% on his floaters as a big man, which is incredibly good. Um, I don't think they gave up really anything too crazy either. They gave up a second-round pick, Vernon Carey Jr., who is a young player that doesn't get any minutes, and Ish Smith, who, again, doesn't really get many minutes. Um, what I really like about this for the Hornets is it just gives their offense more versatility, and I think Montrez Harrell and Lamelo Ball pick and rolls could be really scary. Uh, I don't know what you have to think about that, Danny, but I think that could be one of the better pick and roll combos in the entire league because there's one thing Montrez Harrell does in an elite level, and it's score the ball inside. Yeah, uh, I agree. They Charlotte basically just gave up two players that they don't really need. You know, they don't really they don't really they don't need Ish Smith and Vernon Carey. And they gave up that second round pick, but they got Montrose Harrell in return, which just gives Lamelo a good dish guy. If he drives to the basket, good dish inside guy, good pick and roll guy, it, like Nate it, said. It gives them another piece to their roster. I mean, they're already 
decently deep, but it just gives them another piece of the rotation while not really giving up one of their rotational pieces. Going on to some lesser big-name trades, that's really all we had for, like, the big-name trades, but there were still some other deals that are kind of significant. There was a four-team trade between the Bucks, Clippers, Kings, and Pistons. That was the trade we talked about that Marvin Bagley got sent to Detroit in. What do you what do you think about Marvin Bagley getting a fresh start in Detroit? Do you think that he's actually going to make something of this? Do you think he could has potential to fulfill his his potential really as a number two pick? I am a big believer in Marvin Bagley to rejuvenate his career with Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I think that's a really really good place for him to go, especially when Detroit doesn't really have many other options, and Bagley's going to be able to just play the type of basketball that he wants to play. He's not going to be forced into some system like he was in Sacramento where they wanted him to be a stretch five. I don't know what the hell Sacramento did with him, but I don't think that a lot of Marvin Bagley's early career struggles can be attributed to his own fault because I think a lot of it is really due to just a poor situation, and we've seen that happen with a bunch of other guys. We saw it happen with Chauncey Billups most notably early in his career. He struggled early on with the Celtics and a few other teams and then found his footing with Detroit. But in this deal, the Bucks get Serge Ibaka and two second-round picks from the Clippers, which I think is a really solid pickup for the Bucks, especially since they ha- they cut DeMarcus Cousins a while back. Brooke Lopez is still not healthy from injury. He played a whopping one half a game this season. Mm-hmm. He got injured in the first game of the year. But Serge Ibaka is a really solid backup big man, especially a guy who can stretch the floor next to Giannis. Um, the Clippers get Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale, and Vanja Markinkovic the best player of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but the Clippers didn't get anything notable out of it, really. The Kings got DiVincenzo and Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles. If that means anything, maybe Dante DiVincenzo could be a nice piece for them off the bench. He's going to be one of Sacramento's already thousand guards that they have. But definitely, definitely think that uh, Detroit and Milwaukee were the biggest winners. Yeah, Detroit and Milwaukee were the ones that actually got pieces for their team. I don't think this trade does anything really for the Clippers or the Kings. The Kings get a second rounder, but the Kings will probably trade that for fucking cash. I think that... That is probably the best trade that the Pistons were set up to make. Yeah, honestly, the Pistons couldn't make any moves, really, and they still made... They got something. They got a young piece to match with Cade. Yeah, like you said, low-risk, high-reward. Yep. They don't give up much, and Bagley still, I think, has, if not all-star potential, borderline, because I see him in certain games where he looks not unstoppable, but he's one of the best low-post players in the league, and if he can get to a team where he can do what he's like meant to do and what he does best then I think he has a really strong chance of succeeding and at least fulfilling some of his potential because right now he hasn't really filled any of it. One of the things we talked about last week was the Celtics needing a point guard, a playmaking point guard, just something that wasn't Dennis Schroeder. And we saw them get rid of Dennis Schroeder and a trade to get Daniel Tice back, which I honestly don't mind because that just means no more minutes for Ennis Freedom, who's now probably going to be out of the league for good. I honestly assume he's who, what is Ennis Cantor going to bring no, to any... No, no, please tell me. What is Ennis Cantor going to bring to an NBA team? I'm just saying Tristan Thompson has a job. Like, think about Tristan that. Thompson plays defense and will at least hustle. Ennis Freedom just gets lost on screens and fucking grabs offensive rebounds and then puts up 10 shots and gets every single one of them back and then gets burnt on defense as soon as I he makes a shot. I don't know. Just, like, like think of, like, you, like... 
he's not somebody that like you would expect to like see on the like free agent market. He's like, gonna yeah, I he'll find he'll find a home. Kind so. of, but also not really because I feel like at the same. He's more of a distraction than he's worth as a basketball player right now. He doesn't do jack shit. He can't defend a traffic cone. Yeah, I know he can't. I know he can't. But back to the Celtics. Yeah, they traded for Daniel Tice. I like that move. It gives them another big man. They don't really have any solid big men. Al Horford's old as shit. Um, But they got rid of Dennis Schroeder, who looked like also dog shit in his debut with Houston. But they landed Derek White for Josh Richardson as well, but they did trade a first-rounder that's protected. They also got rid of Romeo Langford. That was one of the forced trades that the Spurs made this deadline. But I think Derek White's honestly a guy that could be really good, especially in a bigger role. He was expected to have a bigger role with San Antonio. He had a really big playoff run the other year. But with Derek White, I think he just needed to be separated from DeJounte Murray. And I think that I don't think he's going to be as good as DeJounte Murray, but I honestly am very high on Derek White. I think he could be at least a very solid starting point guard in the league. It at least changes something up and gives them a better playmaker than Dennis Schroeder is, as well as a better defender. He defends the ball. So a backcourt of Derek White and Marcus Smart could actually be very good defensively, and the Celtics have been figuring it out a lot more recently. Is it just me or did they give up like a lot? I honestly really think that Boston gave up a lot more than they had to in that trade, dude. Two first-round picks, Romeo Langford, Josh Richardson, and a second is kind of crazy. Yeah, no, now that you do say it, it's it is that's a lot for a player who hasn't produced as well as he has in the seasons past. He's making $15 million a year, but hopefully with the Boston Celtics, maybe they see something in him that a lot of other teams don't. Another one of the Spurs trades that they made this season at the deadline was to acquire Goran Dragic and a first-round pick from Toronto. Um, what this deal does for both teams, really, is the Spurs are going to buy out Dragic, so it frees up a roster space for them, but they also get rid of Thaddeus Young's contract, even though Dragic doesn't have a very good contract himself, and they're going to have to spend some money to buy him out. But I really like this trade for Toronto, actually, because they have a whole five players that are actually capable of playing NBA minutes, hence why they have like, the most played starting five in the entire league. Their starting five plays more minutes than any other starting league. In, uh, the Raptors' starting five plays more minutes than any other starting five in the entire league. Getting Thaddeus Young, who isn't a great player, but he can be a solid player and glue guy off the bench to at least give them some more depth and give their starters a rest. They don't have any great bigs, and Thaddeus Young does have the ability to play that center position. So if they do need some more strength in there, when they have Chris Boucher, who is as defined as a 13-year-old, Thaddeus Young could do a job there. But they also land Drew Eubanks as well as a second-round pick. I don't see this doing much for them, but I don't know. I don't hate the move for Toronto. I think that it's not bad getting Thaddeus Young. What do you think about Thaddeus Young on the Raptors? Don't really have an opinion, honestly. Uh, I like the Spurs in the trade, getting the first-round pick from it. But other than that, I don't really... I don't know. It's not not a very big yeah, trade. Not, and honestly, getting a first-round pick for Thaddeus Young is a W in itself. Continuing with the small trades, we have another one with the Suns and the Pacers. This is one that isn't a huge trade, but it's one I actually really like for both teams, to be honest. I know Danny feels indifferent about it, but it's Jalen Smith going to the Suns, or Jalen Smith being traded by the Suns to the Indiana Pacers for Torrey Craig to come back to the Suns. One of the things that we had said or written down and prepared to say for part two of last week's episode was that the Suns needed a lengthy wing defender who could add them more length to switch on the perimeter. 
they have Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder, but outside of that, they don't have as many as much depth defensively as they do offensively. JaVale McGee is obviously center, but just getting Torrey Craig for a guy who has been pretty much overwhelmed has been pretty much underwhelming for the start of his career in Jalen Smith. He's shown a little bit of promise this year, so for the Pacers, again, who are trying to rebuild, I don't mind it at all because Torrey Craig really doesn't offer them anything significant. He's more of a guy that you want on a contending team. So just having a guy that's familiar with the system and a guy that can hit shots and play defense, I think, for the Suns can't hurt, especially when they give up a second-round pick and a guy that doesn't play too much. Yeah, the trade just kind of overall weird for me because – you would look at Jalen Smith as a guy who would hold more value than Torrey Craig, but then Indiana still ended up getting a second-round pick as well out of it. So. Yeah, it's definitely one of those cases, I think, of it was just both teams wanted the same thing, or both teams were on page about what each other wanted, and I think they just came to a deal because I think the Suns wanted a win-now player and the Pacers wanted a younger player, and I think that just probably made the most sense. And Jalen Smith probably doesn't have too much value, even though he has played better this season. He's still a traditional big man who has been, like I said, so far in his career, very underwhelming. One of the other weirder trades that happened was just Aaron Holiday to the Suns for cash considerations. Again, not really anything significant. Aaron Holiday's kind of ass. But, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Aaron Holiday is not very good. He's not as good as his brothers. But Cameron Payne's also been kind of ass this season compared to what he was last season. He's not been asked, but his shooting just hasn't been nearly what it was last year. He was like a 40% three-point shooter this last year. This year, he's only around 31%. So, I mean, getting another guard to put in when Cameron Payne is off or, or just to switch up the rotations a little bit. All right, now moving on to our final trade. We have a trade that I see as kind of lopsided uh, towards the Orlando Magic. Uh, the Magic received Bull Bull, P.J. Dozier, and a second-round pick and cash from Boston for just a second-round pick. Which is also top 55 protected, so essentially unless it's a bottom five pick in the draft, the Celtics get jack shit. Uh, I don't know. This makes no sense to me. They didn't even try to use Bull Bull. P.J. Dozier isn't really anything. I don't think that matters. But I think someone just needs to give Bull Bull a chance, and still no one has, and the Celtics almost gave up things just to get rid of him. I don't understand this at all. Like, Maybe this was to free up cap or something for one of their other trades. I'm assuming that's what it has to be. I don't know all the details of the rules and the money-wise with the numbers. I am not an accounting major. So unless that's what it was, which still, I just don't understand giving up Bull Bull for nothing, especially when people have seen what this dude can do in flashes. And the Celtics don't have many good bigs. I think one of the teams that he could have actually gotten minutes on and potentially proven himself was the Celtics. But now he goes to a team whose two best players arguably are their centers. I just I just can't get across my head that like Boston Boston gave up Bobo's so bad that they had to trade multiple things to yeah. get rid of him. Like what? Yeah. And like you said, no team's taking a chance on Bobo. They pretty much traded Bobo and a second round pick and cash for a Mr. Irrelevant of the draft. Or nothing. Or or nothing. Yeah, but if they do get anything, it is the mis- one of the Mr. Irrelevance in the draft. It's yeah, a bottom five pick. It's one of the last pieces of the entire draft, so maybe you'll get Isaiah Thomas, and there will be a new Isaiah Thomas in Boston, but unless that happens, this trade makes no fucking sense, and I'm kind of confused. Anyways, those are all the trades we had at this year's NBA trade deadline. 
This is probably a little bit shorter of an episode, but we hope you guys enjoyed nonetheless. As always, I'm Nate. I'm Danny. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. Peace.